Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We just fall in love with the world. We get swallowed up. There's so many games going on, so many attractions, so much things that interest us, that capture our attention, our time, our mobility, uh, and all of a sudden, we just fall in love with things the world and, and the fire of God and the fire of Christ dims in your life and in my life. Uh, we just get weary and well-doing. We know the language of Zion, but it has no relevancy to us. What happens to us? The truth is, life's struggles don't have to rob you of a passionate faith. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins a sermon called Staying Fired Up, where he points out some of the traps that stop people from growing in their faith. So stay with us. Proven Truth for Protecting Your Faith is coming up on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Staying Fired Up. Espionage. Back in October, there was industrial espionage took place in Silicon Valley. They had a building there where they had engineers working, doing some creative things. And in the middle of the night, someone broke in walked all the way through this building by many open offices and open laboratories, and they went to one particular office. They opened one door and went on a desk and picked up an object that cost $2.50. And they went out the door. They had the timing with the alarm so set before the police could get there, and they absconded with an object it cost $2.50. They left no clues. All the forensic experts went in, could find nothing, no hair, no footprints, certainly no fingerprints. And this $2.50 object had been absconded. It had been stolen. The battery business in the United States is three point. $4 billion worth of sales every year. It is estimated that the average household in America has per household 17 things that work by battery. The main thing, the channel chaser. <laughs> Doesn't it irritate you that right at the moment you need to change channels and and the thing doesn't work, and I always hit it on the chair, and it doesn't work. It does, and I say, Joe Bass, where are the batteries? <laughs> and she'll say, well, I think we have some. So you get up, you change. And so many things work by those little batteries. And this little gadget that was stolen was something that would charge Revitalize. It was a, a voltage booster for batteries. Little batteries we have, I read, have about, about 1.5 volts in each battery, but if that battery gets below 1.4, even 1.45, it stops the function. 
and we take and we say, we need new batteries. It doesn't work anymore with these batteries. They're dead. The truth is they're not dead. It's like you take a, a tube of toothpaste and you would just squeeze all the top out. You'd never squeeze the bottom and you'd squeeze until it would run out of ammo and you've got 80% still left, right? Who needs some toothpaste? Anybody here? <laughs> Good catch. You, you would, you know, you'd, you'd, what is that? that? You waste all that if you just, that's with our batteries. But this new gadget, it'll come out in September, I'm told, and it will take your batteries and it, it will boost that voltage up to 1.5, even if it's dropped down to, say, 0.1 or, or 0.5. It'll boost it back up, and your batteries and my batteries will last eight times longer. I'm going to buy one. I don't know about you. Do I have unanimity of sales here? Oh, man, I, I don't know who's going to make that thing, but buy stock. And I read that story, and I said, you know, that just fits what I'm talking about. We're in the Christian life. We're studying about how to grow up in the Lord. We talked about personal trainer, about a life coach. We moved on through and how we can go deeper with the Lord. But our problem is we get in the doldrums. We, we run out of juice. Our voltage gets low. And sometimes we just uh, kind of just slough our way all the way through life, and we say, what happened to my Christian walk? Man, there was faith in Christ. Led the fellowship with Christ, with God through the Lord. Led the fellowship in the life of the church. Led to freedom that we have in Christ. Led even to that word fun in walking with him, in fellowship with him. What happens to that? We just get caught up. We get weary and well-doing. We know the language of Zion, but it has no relevancy to us. What happens to us? The problem is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Let me read it for you. I'll just parallel quote it in Young's translations. It says that a guy named Demas deserted Paul because he fell in love with the world and he went to Thessalonica. Isn't that what happens to you, what happens to me in our Christian life? We just fall in love with the world. We get swallowed up. There's so many games going on, so many attractions, so much things that interest us, that capture our attention, our time, our mobility, uh, and all of a sudden, we just fall in love with things the world and and the fire of God and the fire of Christ dims in your life and in my life. We're just like Demas. I could put my name there, and Edwin fell in love with the world and deserted, moved away from, had a distance between myself and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what happens to us, sin, boredom, choosing that which is good at the expense of that which is best, we could put a whole list of things as to why our Christian walk, our Christian life gets dull and dim. I wonder what in the world is the answer. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we see the answer. We'll discover the answer. But may we, as members of your family, put the full weight of our lives behind that answer. May we not just hear, but may we apply and do and follow through so that we'll not be growing always with a raging inferno of fire within us, but there will be that consistent walk, that consistent life. Lord, show us how to do that because we know that is a part of the secret of living effectively in your family. Lord, you speak. Let me get out of the way is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I imagine there was a knock at my door. I got up, I went there, and there was a, a group of people that I did not know. And I looked at them and I said, hmm, I wonder who these people are. And, and they looked respectable. And so I, I opened the door, and, and a man stepped forward. He said, uh, these people who are with me, they're on the U.S. Olympic team, and we're the team that selects all the Olympians that'll be in the Summer Olympics, and we'd like to speak with you. And I said, well, I certainly come in. And they came in, were seated, introductions took place. The chairman stepped forward and said, we have taken all of our computer profiles. We've done a lot of research all over the United States. And we've looked at men of all ages, all walks of life, background experience, athletic capacity, and we have come to the conclusion that you would be the best person in America to run in the summer games and be on the Olympic team, and your event would even be the 800-meter run, which is about a half mile. I am <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm over 39. <laughs> and I said, I've never run in a competitive race in my life. They knew that. They knew that. And I thought, well, you know, I jogged for 30 plus years. Maybe it's finally kicking in here and they've discovered. I don't know. And, and so... I went through all that. This is, this is nonsensical. It's just beyond belief. They, they've selected me to be on the team. And I just began to imagine, you know, what it would be like. There I'd be running the race, and we'd go the last 200 yards, and I can see just breaking that tape and the roar from the crowd and the amazement of the world, and I can see the platform there and walk up on the platform on the top step and I just imagine, you know, putting the ribbon around my neck and the flag being raised, the star-spangled banner being played. I'm telling you, I was just caught up in the emotion. What a moment. And I could just imagine exactly how it would be.
Got it. And then I said, I accept. I said, boy, this changed my life. Man, this is something bigger than life. What a moment. As they go out the door and I'm waving goodbye and I say, I want you to know I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try. And the chairman comes back and says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to try. You're going to train. When you and I accepted Christ, he put us on his eternal Olympic team. And we who've come to Christ, so many of us say, I hear it all the time, I'm going to try to be a Christian. Anybody who is now trying to be a Christian, guess what? You're not going to make it. That's the antithesis of what the Christian life is, to try. You don't try to be a Christian. You train because you've received Christ. We're in training to live the Christian life on his Olympic team. But we still try. We say, it is by willpower. It is by determination. I'm going to try to do this and not do this and be this and go there. We try and we try. Ladies and gentlemen, quit trying. You're not going to make it. But we still have that effort-driven mentality, do we not? Go to most churches and they preach, well, you got to try harder, pray more, give more, come more. Oh, you got to try, try, try. It's all by effort. Oh, salvation, my faith. But you try, try, try to live the Christian. You don't try, you train. Big difference. Maybe you're familiar with the little children's story. Toad and frog together. Toad cooked up a batch of cookies, big batch of cookies. Toad and Frog were eating the cookies. Boy, they were delicious. And Frog said, you know, we shouldn't eat all these. This is too good. It's not good for us to eat. And, and Toad said, I know it, but they sure are good. And, and, and Toad said, maybe we could use some willpower and stop eating. And Frog said, well, what is willpower? He said, well, willpower is, is trying to do something that you want to do in your own power, your own strength, your own determination. He said, well, we can do that. We can stop eating. But they just kept eating, and they kept eating, and they kept eating. So we got to try harder. I said, no, but they're delicious. And finally, Frog said, I know what we can do. We can take these cookies. I'll put them in a box. I'll tie the box up. I'll go out and climb a tree and put that box in the top of the tree, and then we'll have a tough time getting to them. That will handle our problem of trying to eat up all these cookies. Yeah, but Toad said, you know, You'd get so hungry, there'd be a day you'd climb up that tree and you'd go get those cookies. You'd still eat them. That won't work. So, well, we could take the cookies, and they were still eating them. So, we'll just feed them to the birds. And they poured out the remainder of the cookies. The bird came. They said, hey, we did that with our willpower, didn't we? Yes, we sure did. We didn't eat all of them, most of them, but not all of them. And so, Frog said to Toad, what do we do now? He said, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm going to go home and bake a cake. (laughs) 
That's what happens to us, isn't it? I've got enough willpower over here, but, you know, it falls apart over here. Training is what happens to us when willpower is not enough. To be sure, willpower is a good place to begin, a desire, a want to, maybe a beginning motivation. Maybe we've seen others do it. But willpower in many things, addictions, things that have just come into your life and come into my life that keeps us beat down will not be enough. So there has to be training. Now we talk about spiritual disciplines. And we know there are a whole lot of spiritual disciplines. There's a long, long list of them. And, and they are used for different things. And by the way, let me say up front that no set of spiritual disciplines works for everybody because we're wired differently. Have you noticed that? I mean, we have to adapt our spiritual disciplines to those particular things in which are dragging us down and keeping us from staying fired up with God. And so there are sins of omission, things we do not do that we should do, and things of commission, things that we do that we absolutely should not do. So this is part of the training. There's a discipline of abstinence. See it? Sins, and the answer for that, the discipline of abstinence, that is the sins of commission. Follow me. This is a little close. In other words, if I'm doing the things I shouldn't do, I'm exercising muscles in the wrong way, we should practice the disciplines, the quiet time, the prayer time. Look at them. Solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy. In other words, this fits me. If I am doing things that I should not do, therefore, I have to get involved in the disciplines of abstinence. You see, that affects, it deals with my problem. By the same token, look, if I am not doing things that I should do, I should be patient, I should be kind, I should get involved. It's the other kind of discipline. It's a discipline of engagement, see it? The sins of omission. Study, worship, service, prayer, fellowship, submission. You see, this is things I'm not doing. Therefore, the answer to that is to get involved in things that activate those muscles that I'm not using. Whereas I'm using the wrong muscles, I need something that will pacify and relax those muscles. Illustration of this in the Bible. Here is Elijah in depression. What was God's answer for Elijah in depression? He said, I want to kill myself. Everybody else is, is following Baal or Ashtaroth. And he went off in a lonely place. And, and God says, no, Elijah, you need to take a nap. You need to go to sleep. And he awakened. He just fed him. He said, now go back to sleep. The answer for Elijah, his spiritual discipline was to sleep. By the way, sleep is a beautiful thing. Have you noticed that? It's a fabulous thing. Go to sleep at night with a clear conscience, just listening to God, maybe quoting a scripture. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It can be a spiritual discipline. Sometimes I'm a little short or quick, though that's hard for anybody to believe. Joe Beth might could find an illustration of that. I'm not sure that she could. But sometimes I just, I'm not rested. I, I, I've been going too hard. And, and so I just need to sleep. That becomes a discipline. So for Elijah, the answer was sleep. Now look at Peter, James, and John. Jesus said, go me to the Garden of Gethsemane, pray with me, watch with me. He's faith the cross, and they went to sleep. Sleep for them was a sin. Sleep for Elijah was the right thing to do. So what I'm saying, 
We take those spiritual disciplines that fit you, that fit me, and therefore, if we're not doing what we should be doing, right, we need to get activated in some spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines that activate that. If we're doing that which we ought to do and not, we, we get activated. If we're doing things we're, we're doing and we should do, so you see, the disciplines fits where you are and where I am. It's a little confusing, but it should be clear. Some muscles, we need to teach them how to relax with spiritual disciplines. Other muscles, we teach them how to get engaged in spiritual disciplines. That's the genius of it. That's how it works. What's the problem? Man, I'm going to try. No, we get in training with God, and that's prayer. That's Bible study. That's worship. That's fellowship. That's all these things we're involved in. We're getting in spiritual training. What happens when spiritual training? We stay fired up, do we not? We stay in tune with God. We have other people who helps us stay in tune with one another. And then the next thing we do here, it is a building program. Or somebody had the idea, boy, my life would really be okay. I'd have tranquility. I'd be marching along if I got everything in balance. Get some time management consultant. You know those guys, those gals, they come and tell you, well, you got to have your life managed. Look at this pie chart. You'll see it. Seen one like that, a balanced life. All the different things, recreation, um, financial, vocation, spiritual. And you get all those things in balance. Boy, you'll just smooth. You're in balance. You can just smooth, go right through life. That's not the answer. Because you look at that, these things, all things are equal. All those little disciplines are the same thing. They're not. So a balanced life keeps us from reaching out for things that are beyond life. Somebody take the apostle Paul and say, Paul, your life is totally out of balance. Look what's happened to you. You're neglecting the tent making that you were called to do for all this Christian stuff. Your life's out of balance. The answer's not balance. You say, well, maybe the answer is being out of balance, not being balanced. Look at the picture of somebody who'd be out of balance. Somebody has all their life is spiritual things. Somebody who has all the piosity and they say, are you going to the grocery store today? Well, if it's God's will, I'm going to the grocery store today. You know anybody like that? Uh, Simon Stalitz became a saint, third century. He went and, and sat on a, a rock for 37 years. He never left that rock. 37 years. And boy, he was a saint. He just prayed to the Lord. Finally, people started gathering around him, trying to speak to him. And later on, they built a, a tower 50 feet high for him to live on. 37 years. That's a one-sided life, isn't it? I don't think that's sanctification. I think it's the opposite. I think it's a life that's been wasted. You see, that is an unbalanced life. So the life, is, the way is not a balanced life. The way is not an unbalanced life. Well, what are we trying to do? How are we trying to stay fired up with God and in charge of what he has for our lives? That is a building project. We are to build into our lives a heart, a heart that's made for God. You read the Bible, the heart is the seat of our passion. It's the seat of our emotions. It is that impetus that is within us. So we're to build spiritual formations in our lives. 
That's a part of that, those disciplines we talked about. Uh, that, that's a part of spending time, quality time, listening and speaking to God as we talked about extensively. And suddenly, we have a heart that is like that. And so, what's the answer? Two things. One thing would be fellowship. Look at Chronicles, if you would, with me. The third chapter, verse number 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, listen to this, put on the heart of compassion. Now, what does that heart look like? Remind, remember now, we're keeping a life that's on charge, a life that is fired up, a life that has purpose. Put on a heart of compassion as kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also, you, also should you. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. What is it like to put on love? Augustine says, when you put on love, all of a sudden, you have a heart that's made for God. And he gives the characteristics of that heart. Follow me. Very important. You do the right thing. You do the right thing the right way. You do the right thing the right way the right time. And you do the right thing the right way the right time for the right reason. Whoa, boy, if that could be your life and my life, what kind of life would you have? What kind of life would I have? Would that not do it? Now, most of us know, oh, I want to do the right thing. Even we do the right thing, sometimes we do the right thing the wrong way, don't we? Sure we do. I can tell you a lot of illustrations of my life. Did the right thing, but the wrong way. And sometimes we do the right thing the right way, and we do it, do it at the right time. Boy, our timing is mixed up. Boy, that's a problem. Ooh, ooh, bad timing. Ooh, ooh, messed up doing the right thing the right way. The time is off. Messed everything up. And then for the right reason, that's the motivation. Get those together, ladies and gentlemen, and we're again to have a heart for God. We've put love. We've got these qualities operating in your life, in my life. Well, where do we begin? See, our goal, let me tell you our goal out there. Our goal is, as we are in Christ, that we are to do and become what Christ would do and become if he were in your shoes and in my shoes. You got it? The old thing, what would Jesus do? Wonderful little book, two or three generations ago. That's not the question. But what would Jesus do if he were in charge of your life? Now, where you are, past, present, future. All of a sudden, you say, man, I've got to have a changed heart. I have to have a changed life. I have to stay fired up with the Lord. How does it happen? It happens through fellowship. You put on, there is fellowship here. A nobleman's son asked his father. He said, I, I want to know what I'm to do with my life. I don't know what my life is for. I don't have purpose. And the father said, son, get to know the king and you will soon find out. He said, what's God's purpose in my life? 
get to know the king, King Jesus. You can do that. He wants to know you. Know you better. Know you fully. Know you completely. Hang around Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's what we'd say. And you'll find out exactly what your purpose in life is all about. The next thing you would say, not only hang around Jesus, but this is a powerful little verse here that I want us all, just repeat it after me. Whatever you do in word, Or deed, or deed, do all in the name, name of the Lord Jesus. That's it. Well, it sounds pious. How does it work? Whatever you do in word, whatever you do in deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. It means we get up in the morning. We say, morning, Lord. I, I'm here. I'm open. I'm available to you. Whatever I do today, help me to do it in your name, every relationship, every activity. Billy Graham said that he was taught a spiritual practice right early in his life. He said, virtually everybody I meet when I'm talking with them, I try to, as I'm speaking, to pray, Lord, work and speak in this life. He said, it's changed everything. Work and speak in this life. That's doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't mean you say, oh, I'm speaking to you in the name of Jesus. Don't get that super pious air. Just live it and put reality to it. Everything we do, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then an amazing thing happens to us. We discover we have built and God is building in you and me a heart for him. Our heart has been reconstructed. It is being rekindled. Let me put this in a simple way. Years ago, there was a missionary in Nigeria, and there was one outstanding young man. This missionary watched this child come from first grade all the way through school until he finished high school. He had great potential. And he went to his mom and dad. They came from poverty, as you would expect, and said, I want Benjamin to... Go to college in the United States. I prepared for a scholarship for him in a, in a Christian college. I want him to go if you'll let him. And they said, of course. And so Benjamin flew to America by himself, found his way to the college, rode there on a bus, went in and rolled, got in class, began to work. Can you imagine the culture shock? <laughs> I, I think about, boy, what a, what a, I've been in places and I was in culture shock. But I'm telling you, his culture shock must have been beyond measure. But in that culture shot, he's walking around the campus, and he saw a stadium. He saw some other students running and jumping, and he asked them, what are they doing? He said, well, that's our track team. We've got a wonderful track team. We, we think we'll win the conference. He said, well, what do they do? And they told him they race and they lift and they jump, do different things. And he said, you know, can anybody be on the team? And they said, well, if you try out. And so... They got him a tryout, put the uniform on. He'd never run a competitive race in his life. He raced his kids, went from village to village there in Nigeria. But he had no experience. And, and they said, no, let's just time him. So they had him. He said, Benjamin, as fast as you can, run around that track four times. And he did. And they timed him. And they said, uh, take your breath and, and do that once more, would you please? And he ran around once more. And the coaches said, he just missed by a few seconds breaking the record 
conference record for the mile. That's when they ran around four times. And they said, Benjamin, you're on the team. And they said, we have a chance to beat this big university. They had, had a meet the next week with like a university like UT or A&M. And so they said, well, we got a chance to win that with Benjamin running the mile. And so the event started, told you, Mark, get set. And the coaches told him, he said, Benjamin, you'll win this race. They've got some good milers, but you should win. Just get on the outside, stay away from everybody. You just run full laps and see what happens. So he did, but they started off the first 100 yards, 200 yards, first, uh, you know, half of the first quarter. Man, he looked like he couldn't pick his legs up. He was just dragging. Everybody moving ahead of him. They got, got almost half a lap ahead of him. Then they got great distance ahead of him. And about bending the second part of the third time around, had to run four times, all of a sudden, you could see life came to him. And he began to move. And finally, he caught up with the last of them as they began the last 300 yards. And, and he moved ahead. And finally, the last 100 yards, he was like a sprinter. Zip! He went across the tape ahead of everybody else. And they didn't know who he was. The crowd didn't know. The coaches were thrilled, and they got him over to one side. They said, Benjamin, congratulations. You have won, and you set a new record for the conference. We don't know what you can do running the mile. And, and the coach said, by the way, what was wrong with you the first quarter, quarter and a half? You just dragged. You got way behind. What was going on? He said, I don't know. He said, my legs felt like iron. He said, he said I, I just couldn't pick them up. He said, then what happened to you when you just sprang into action? He said, I just prayed. And he said, Jesus, if you'll pick them up, I'll put them down. <laughs> and he said, Jesus picked them up so fast, I could hardly put them back down. <laughs> Do everything in the name of Jesus. He'll pick them up. We put them down, and all of a sudden, we'll stay fired up for him. We'll be on his team, not always on the mountaintops, but we'll begin to hear the sound of the trumpets in the morning. And guess what? With this new heart, and we're not trying, we're tra in training. We're not trying to balance everything we're building this heart for the Lord and this heart for Christ. We'll discover, you know, I'm doing the right thing. Hmm. I'm doing it the right way. And I'm doing it the right time. And I'm doing it for the right reason. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our goal. That's when all of a sudden we realize that, you know, I'm really on the Lord Jesus Christ Olympic team. I've got a new heart. And I'm not sinning like I used to in my mind, in my way, and in my personality because the desire is no longer there. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how to stay fired up.
You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.